0: Hello and welcome to Inside Intercom. I'm Liam Garrity. Today I'm joined by Bill Price. Bill was Amazon's very first global VP of customer service. He has leveraged the experience he accumulated over nearly three years at Amazon to become one of the leading experts on customer service. And he's written several books on that topic. The latest of which is The Frictionless Organization, Deliver Great Customer Experiences with Less Effort, which he co-wrote with David Jaff. Bill is also founder and president of Driver Solutions, a consultancy dedicated to creating highly effective customer contact strategies and operations. Today, Bill is joining me to talk about how to create a frictionless organization how the big players like Amazon and Dyson do it, why customer experience is far more important than price, and honestly, a million more insights. This episode is packed full of them. So let's head over to studio to meet Bill Price. Bill, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm looking forward to this. So, Can you tell me a little bit about your career and where your interest in
1: customer facing problems came from in the first place? Sure. No, absolutely. Um, I tried to correct the error of my ways from an early (laughs) consulting career by joining a startup company in the customer service IVR Service Bureau field. And we got acquired by the large US telco MCI. And I spent the decade of the 90s building out a business unit there focused on improving the contact center, call center experience for business customers and their consumers. I then found myself interviewing uh, here in Seattle with uh, Jeff Bezos 23 and a half years ago to become Amazon's first worldwide VP of customer service, which I did for about three years and then decided to hang out my shingle, help other companies give back. And so it's been great to... uh, work with a lot of great companies and some business partners around the world, trying to, trying to raise the awareness of uh, customer experience and customer frustrations and fixing them. And like you say, you know, you've written
0: several books, yeah, The Best yeah. services, No Service and Your Customer right. Rules. So your latest book, The Frictionless Organization, Deliver Great Customer Experiences with Less Effort, co-written with David Schaff. What was the
1: reason behind why you wanted to write this particular book? Well, we we've we've gotten a lot of feedback, really good feedback over the years from the first two books that we we hit on a lot of very good notes, but that a lot of companies, a lot of organizations still weren't getting it. They still weren't coming on the right bandwagon, coming on the right path. And and it's been complicated because customer expectations keep rising. They keep saying things right. like why can't you be as easy as this other company or why can't you reach out to me when there's a problem. I mean, like some other organization does. So expectations have risen and a lot of companies haven't been listening to it. So we decided it made sense just to sit down and and, and write this uh, almost like a journal in a book form and, and step-by-step trying to take everyone through how they could do a better job identifying friction and then getting rid of it. So
0: what's a good example? There's loads of examples in the book, Mm -hmm. you know, from all sorts of companies and that have become frictionless. What's one of your favorites? What's one that stands out for you that's been successful at it?
1: Well, the one that keeps coming back to to me is one that we came across looking at some articles and then we interviewed this company to find out more details. They're based in um, New Zealand, big offices in Australia, all over the, they, they sell over the world now, but it's a business software company called Xero. It's spelled X-E-R-O. And they do distribute in England and in the UK and Ireland, as well as other countries in Europe. But what they've done is they've decided to flip the table and said, instead of trying to optimize the contact center, the call center experience with all sorts of things we know how to do, they said, let's let's get rid of an inbound phone number, no inbound chat, no inbound email. Everything is done through what they call Zero Central, which is a central portal that each of their business customers has access to. And they say that 96% of the queries into Zero Central get answered without having to go any further. For the 4% that aren't answered, a very small trouble ticket register is made. And then what we really love is that an expert calls the customer back within two hours. Knowing where that customer was in the portal, so it's no it's not an ex- it's not a case of well hi how can i help you it's more like i see you were here looks like you've got a question about the, uh, the the billing accuracy i'm the head of billing of the company or i run the billing operations team how can i help you so it's a great conversation they have between their customers and the experts and they wind up having tremendous loyalty and i suppose
0: listeners will be familiar with several kind of large companies i'm thinking of people like dyson or mm-hmm. apple who would also be you know, good examples of this.
1: Oh, absolutely. In fact, I, I have a uh, a new little piece that I'm going to be posting on on LinkedIn any day now, a little short video that I prepared on Zoom that talks about Dyson's and how Dyson's has a, a really simple app, a really elegant app uh, that they have so that you don't need to contact them for queries that I had. For example, I pulled out an old air purifier when we had some bad smoke and air here in Seattle a few weeks ago. And I found out that I didn't have the remote. Somehow I'd lost the remote and the remote was essential to turn it on, turn it off and adjust Mm. the fan speed and so forth. Well, turns out when I plugged it in, it turned on, but I wanted to have a higher fan speed. When I went on the website, I saw this little Bluetooth symbol. I figured, "Hmm, that's interesting. So I clicked on the Bluetooth symbol and it said, all you have to do is download the app and you can control your Dyson's air purifier from wherever you are. You can be ah. in a state. And so I did that. And within a few minutes, had it up and running, had the app going, could increase the fan speed. And it was really, really simple, really frictionless for me.
0: And so, like you mentioned at the start, you were Amazon's first global vice president of customer service. So how did that experience shape what went into this book and the methodology behind it?
1: I'll, I'll give you the answer in sort of two dimensions. One, it was a capstone on things that I'd already been trying to put in place and to make work for customers, but it also was an accelerator. And the accelerator came from Jeff Bezos' personal drive, which was fantastic, to build what he kept calling Earth's most customer-centric company. And it was a wonderfully ambitious and a little bit ambiguous term. And what he really meant by that, he defined it later on as you need to listen to the customer, but also invent for the customer. So you can't just do one or the other, or else you're going too deep down your own agenda, or you'll not be creative enough for customers. So he pushed all of us to build an organization that had very few errors, if any errors, things need to be clear, need to be simple. Uh, One thing that sticks with me is that he uh, wanted to make sure that the website was designed for someone with an eighth grade education, a middle school education, not a graduate student, not someone who knew engineering, even though Amazon was a fairly complicated online tool, he wanted to make it Mm. really simple. And and that drive for simplicity and the drive for accuracy has really stayed with me over the years. So I I suppose if the customer's...
0: In an ideal world, they don't want to contact, you know, any business if they don't have to. And businesses would obviously love for that. Um, so for everything to be running smoothly, and, and that's what everyone wants. So why don't more organizations become frictionless?
1: Yeah, that, that that's a question we keep asking ourselves as well. And that, that is that is the fundamental question. And so you 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 picked on the correct word, which is why. Why aren't they doing it? And and if they are beginning to do it. How is it working and how can they make it even more successful? I, th- I think one of the reasons why organizations aren't frictionless, aren't going down this path is that they have historical systems or legacy systems that make it difficult for them to, for example, join up channels like the Xero example, where the person that called back knew that the Xero customer had been on zero Central and, and was went through the portal in various ways. All that information was transferred down to the person who called back. A lot of organizations don't do that. They've got a portal set up with this technology, an IVR system or a knowledge-based system in the call center with another technology, and, and they don't join up their, their systems and capabilities. So that's one problem. And the other problem is that they think it's going pretty well anyway. In other words, they look at, mm. hey, we're, our, our customer churn is doing pretty well. It's about the same as it's been, and our revenues are going up. We must be doing something well. When underneath of that, are these deep-seated problems that are just going to come out and bite them. But but they, they they kind of get complacent. They get complacent because things seem to be going well.
0: Would there be any situation where
1: it actually mightn't be right for your business to be frictionless? Right to be frictionless? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's, it's perfect right to be frictionless. It, and it's okay to have contacts. We, we, we do talk in the book that there are a category, a small category, but an important category of issues where customers want to talk to you and you want to talk to them. And those would be usually surrounding reasons or intents, such as, I want to cancel my account. A really good opportunity to talk to them about why is that the case, and maybe we can help you. Maybe we can put you on a better plan. Or it could be an issue like, tell me more about this new release. I want to learn about whether this new release is really going to help me, and maybe it's compatible with what the uh, system is that I have. So there are a small but significant number of, of reasons that are positive. But most of the reasons really represent frustration or mistakes or the opportunity to digitize. For sure. Um, and you, you speak about something called whole of business yeah. problem. Can,
0: can yeah. you explain what that means for our listeners?
1: Yeah. If the listeners are, are coming from the contact center or call center background, they will know well that the, the organizations tend to burden them with uh, limited budgets and lots of pressure and expectations at the call center, the contact center will fix the problems and everything will work fine. When in fact, The contact center is really just there because other departments or other groups have caused some of the issues that need to be handled. And so what we say is unless you get the issues over to those owners, as we call them, for instance, a head of billing or a head of logistics or someone in IT or maybe someone in product developer marketing, you need to get the voice of customer, the volume, the costs of those issues over to those owners and engage them to figure out how to fix the problem. Customer care, customer service, customer support can certainly resolve some issues, but they can't fix the root causes. That's just not what they're designed to do. But an mm-hmm. IT team can do that. A dev team can do that. Someone in billing can do that. So we say that it's got to be the whole of business, which really means up to the MD or the CEO and their teams. They, they need to be intimately involved. It's not just a, a contact center a burden at all.
0: Exactly. No man is an island, as they say. Exactly. Something you've written about a good bit is is about customers' experience being more important
1: than price. Why why is that? Well, because customers are willing to pay a little bit more for something that is, is a great product or a great service. And we talked about Dysons a few minutes ago. I mean, they, they, they're not the cheapest product around, but for those of us that have discovered Dysons, we've become big fans. I think in our house, we've got Three vacuum cleaners, three air purifiers and a hair dryer, I mean, all sorts of things. And, and we're willing to pay more if it works well and if it delights us or at least gives us something that uh, uh, exceeds our expectations or exceeds our needs. I mean, Amazon is low cost and is a uh, you know prides itself on on providing bargains to customers. And so what is the value there? Well, the, 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 the price there is you're willing to pay sometimes that annual fee for the Amazon Prime, which is a big money maker for, for companies like Amazon, a mm. prepaid subscription type service. Uh, but you're willing to pay for it because you get free shipping, you get access to Prime Video, you get access to other solutions that Amazon has to offer. So in many cases, and you can't say 100%, but in many cases, the experience and the, the way of dealing with the product and service will be more important than what the price tag is. Customers are willing to pay for what really works well and what uh, delights them.
0: Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with Intercom leadership, all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode one is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect.
2: I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt or die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service, and it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right? And see what happens. Welcome to Offscript.
0: That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. Bill, you mentioned Dyson and Zero and all Mm. these like, great companies and organizations that are good examples, but I suppose, what would be a bad example? What would be an example of someone who did this the wrong way?
1: Well, we we, we, we do have a lot of bad stories in the book and all three books, but in this book in particular, we really spent some time digging up and profiling organizations that did not do it right, that were actually increasing friction, or at least were not reducing friction. Just so we protect our own cells, we decided not to name those companies very often. So they're generally written as a telco or a bank or a government agency. Mm, yes. One, one that I'll give you is an online company that prided itself on providing what we call preempt, meaning alerts. They wanted to make sure that their customers were going to be aware that this uh, large product that they ordered online was going to be delivered tomorrow. And they would send out messages the night before. These were um, a voicemail message that would be left by the customer's agreement on their mobile that said, mm-hmm. I just want to reassure you, your product will be arriving tomorrow between 12 and three in the afternoon, something like that. So great. Yep. You're waiting for it. And then around 1245 comes, it hasn't arrived. 230 comes, it still hasn't arrived. So the customer starts calling the contact center and the agent goes, nope, looks like it should be getting there. And then 330 arrives. Now it's past due, 435 o'clock. You're getting pretty frosted. Call the center again. And then you maybe get a different agent or a different knowledge article comes up and says, oh, wait a minute now, actually, that product is still in the warehouse. It won't be shipped until next week. And you go, wait a minute, I got this message last night. Well, going back to my previous comment, the systems weren't joined up. The automated system was tied into an earlier version of the supply chain delivery system that had not been updated. Someone had just not updated it and therefore customers, not just this person who called in several times, but other customers like them, were also not going to get their product as promised, which is even worse. And, and if they had known, if the message instead had said, I'm sorry, we have some, we got some snags in the system, we'll get it to you next Monday, at least you would have been reassured. But to get a confirmation that something is really not going to come mm. is is a source of much, much frustration. That company tackled it, got rid of that problem, so they actually addressed it. But it was one that really shouldn't have happened in the first place.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's funny you should mention that. That's literally something that happened to me this oh, week. Oh, did it? <laughs> you know, and, and and you have that frustration of of going to find out. You know, okay, so is this going to be delivered on another day? and I yeah. couldn't find any information of about whether it was or not. There was no kind of easy yeah. way to contact yeah that is a good bad example as we say yeah. so i suppose if you are an organization who you know and 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 you you want to become more frictionless you know how can you kind of go about compiling you know say customer issues and mm-hmm. and and you know insights that you've gleaned from interactions you know with them to put into this rather than kind of putting them
1: through new ones if you know what i mean No, 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 no. Totally get it. I I think it it first starts with what we refer to in the book as understand. First step is to understand the reasons why customers are, as we say, bothering themselves to have to contact you. And again, there's some good reasons, but most of them are not. And those reasons are typically collected. They're called customer reasons and They have different names for them, but they're typically way too numerous or way too few. And so we're looking for that Goldilocks sort of ideal in the middle, which is somewhere between 25 and 50 reasons should cover everything why a customer is contacting you. So instead of saying billing issues, which doesn't give you indication of good or bad, or technical problems, which doesn't really start the process of of fixing it, go a little bit deeper and say, you know, my internet keeps dropping, or why is my bill so high? Or maybe something that lends itself to be digitized, such as where 's the closest retail store to me you, sh- you shouldn 't be getting any phone calls for that or chat message that, that should be fully automated, or when is my product going to arrive back to our previous little uh, story and and when you come down to those twenty five to fifty reasons, you then can start getting these owners associated or identified with them, go back to that whole of business problem without that early understanding. You're really kind of running around and not figuring out what's going on. One of my business colleagues in England likes to call it running through treacle and so if you're running <laughs> through treacle, as you guys would know it, it means you're not making any progress at all, so you have to get rid of that yeah, yeah, I love that and that, that I, I suppose
0: in terms of advice, you know what kind of steps should you be taking if you want to refocus you know the business on solving yep. customer issues and problems?
1: I think one of the main reasons I'll just I'll just focus on one rather than give you a number that're in yeah. the book which is to cost them out. Figure out how to quantify and cost out those reasons because it's a shocker how expensive they are. And I'm I'm talking beyond the cost of running a support center which is usually pretty well known in 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 a budget. But for example, if you have the customers calling in saying my my internet keeps dropping or my internet is slow or I have static on my line, those types of issues can often be fixed with a really good Technical support call, but if not, then a dispatch has to be made. A technician or engineer has to roll out to the office or the home to try to figure out what's going on and try to fix it. That's really expensive. We're talking north of a hundred pounds, hundred dollars per visit, for example, on top of that call which which preceded it and it also didn't get resolved. So the customer's mm. still waiting for something to happen. So when you capture those downstream costs, those subsequent costs to the contact, and bring those together by issue, by these 25 to 50 reasons, then the eyes start going up. Like the CFOs start getting engaged. Like, well, it's really costing us that much money per month, per year to handle that issue. We don't want that issue at all. We certainly don't want to have to spend that much money on it. What can we do? So I think costing out is probably, the, boiling it down would be what is, is really one of the most revealing ways to proceed.
0: And like you say, there's some other really, really insightful steps in the book. And just before we wrap up, we always ask, Just broadly speaking, what makes good and bad customer service for you?
1: Mm -hmm. So I I don't want to have to contact my bank, my telco, (laughs) my whatever it is. So for me, it is the best service is no need for service or the best service is no service. If I do have to contact them, I want to have someone who listens to me, who doesn't interrupt me, who understands how severe or important this is for me, and then fixes it, and then confirms afterwards that it was fixed. So if I have to go through that exercise, I want to make sure that it was it was done in that sort of sequence. A bad service experience is one, first of all, that had to happen. But number two is where the opposite occurs, which is no recognition of who I am. A sense that this was sort of a standard call, maybe going through a checklist, telling me something that I already know, or telling me something that's really off, that really helped me. And so the bad experience then leaves me afterwards saying, wait, not only was the problem in the first place not necessary, but that contact shouldn't have happened. I better contact somebody else or maybe I'll just go somewhere else. That's the issue. The implication of bad service to me is I'm going to go shop or spend my money somewhere else. Perfect. Well, I, I was going to say, what's next?
0: And I hate asking this for people who've just spent yeah. their time writing a new book. You know, you know.
1: do you have any big plans? You've literally just written a book, but I, I, I'll put it to you anyway. Well, David and I have written three books together, which has been a fantastic experience. He lives in Melbourne, Australia. He grew up in England. We've had a really terrific experience writing this. I think next time I might do something a little bit different, maybe on my own rather than with David, although he and I will still talk about it. Which is I've I've been keen on this idea of something we do talk about in the book called the propensity to complain, which means Uh for the same issue, for the same problem or same opportunity, there's a wide difference in the complaint rates around the world and even within countries. And I want to really probe why is that? Why are customers, for instance, in Italy, apt to contact you more frequently than someone in Sweden on the same issue? or in the United States why do customers in Boston and New England tend to contact their companies much more frequently than customers in California or in Washington state where I live cultural reasons are there uh, there's some other background reasons and, and and there's really interesting academic data that supports this thesis but it hasn't really been done comprehensively and i think it would help regional and global players to figure out that sort of the health of their customers and products. It'll also tell them that customers in Sweden who may not contact you as much have the same problem rate. They just don't contact you as much. So what do you do about that? And maybe you should reach out to those Swedish customers or the ones in California who don't bother to contact you because then you can really get a much better understanding of customer experience. So I think that that's probably next up for me. Ah, I love that. We'll
0: definitely have to get you back on to talk about that. And and as an Irishman, I can give you some insight in that Irish people, say if you're out at a restaurant and you had a bad experience, yes. you will be talking about it with the people at the table. But when the waiter came over and asked you, how is everything everyone will be falling over themselves to say everything was perfect. We yes. hate admitting, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or complaining mm-hmm. to people. So th- there's your first
1: one. I love Bill- it. Thank you. Thank you. Pre- appreciate the contribution. <laughs> Bill, thank you so much for talking to me today. Enjoyed it very much. Uh, th- thanks for the time. Continue. Good luck on your podcast.
0: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Bill Price. If you did, you will find hundreds of more conversations with more amazing folks in our podcast archive. So get exploring. I'll be back with more Inside Intercom next week. See you then. This is Inside Intercom.